This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 18 of Good Beer Matters. Just your level of appreciation really becomes so much more enhanced the better you understand it. You really start to see both the art and science of what's going into it. Good beer matters because essentially it brings us all together uh, and it's kind of a shared passion that we can all get behind and enjoy. In the world of beer, many people pursue more as in, let's drink more beer. My next guest on Good Beer Matters podcast, however, is a guide to something better, as in how to better appreciate and enjoy our beer. In fact, few people in the world understand beer better than he does. Since he is one of 16 master Cicerones in the world, he is a part of a very elite and very well-educated group of beer experts. As a master Cicerone, he is able to talk fluently with brewers, chefs, food scientists, and then translate for the rest of us. He has graciously shared his thoughts on beer appreciation, food pairings, and how to further educate ourselves in the wide world of beer. My name is Jeremy. I am a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 18 of Good Beer Matters with Master Cicerone, Ryan Daly. Right off the bat, I, I, I want uh, anyone who's listening to get a better sense of your background and who you are, and I'll kick it off, and then I'd love for you to kind of fill in the gaps and give us a little bit of perspective. Um, um, and so I am a certified Cicerone, which is a level two. You are a master, which is the top level. Um, and and the way I always think about that is uh, beer server to uh, certified to advance to uh, master. I, I kind of think of it, maybe this is inappropriate, but I think of it as like a high school graduation, a college, to master's, to a PhD. So to me, it's like you have a PhD in beerology. Would, would that uh, analogy be fair and, and somewhat adequate? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good analogy. Definitely the level of knowledge it, it takes and, um, you know, just experience with hands-on elements of beer, pouring, tasting, draft systems, pairing uh, becomes much more significant as you work your way up from certified beer server to certified, advanced, and ultimately master. So, yeah, I like that analogy. 
Uh, I don't know if I'm smart enough to actually have a PhD, but at least I have uh, gotten through the master's. So well, you have you have something even better, a master. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, and another thing, just to uh, point out too, though, is uh, is I read somewhere in, in my own study uh, looking toward advancement is is a master really ought to be able to talk to um, top chefs toe-to-toe, top brewers toe-to-toe. You should be really well-rounded and and extremely knowledgeable in the minutiae in as far as food preparation and production and um and how everything goes into that as well as the brewing processes and everything else including the the historical perspectives of beer um do i have that correct as well uh, yeah, to a certain degree, you know, there's definitely the expectation um, for the Masters just around to have a good understanding of, you know, how beer and food play together, how they interact together, um, having a good understanding of different styles of food, different preparations of food, things like that. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I uh, am not a very good cook. <laughs> I try every now and then to make uh, some fancy dinners for my wife and I, and usually it turns out uh, not how I'd intended, and I end up using every dish in the house. But to me... When we're talking about beer and food and being able to have those conversations with top chefs, top brewers, I always kind of bring it back to flavor. You know, just having a good idea of a range of different flavors, being able to identify those flavors, whether it be in a beer, whether it be in a dish, and then be able to uh, talk to anybody about how those flavors might go well with uh, something on the other side of the table or the other side of the bar. Gotcha. And so that, that kind of leads me into my next little point, too, is it looks like for quite some time uh, you have been a beer educator, uh, which kind of led you up to the point where you're still a beer educator, just now at a very high level in a very large company. Um, can Will you go back to the beginning of all that and just kind of get us caught up on, on, on how that story unfolded? Sure. So just to give you a little bit of context, I've worked in the beer industry for about uh, 14, 15 years now. My first job was actually as a merchandiser with the local wholesaler. So merchandisers essentially are out stocking shelves, building displays. Uh, so the first job I had in beer was essentially stocking shelves. Uh, did a few other jobs with the wholesaler. I ended up moving to the brewery side of the business, first in sales, and spent a lot of time in marketing and brand management. And over the years, you know, as I kind of learned a little bit more about beer, I became more excited about beer. I realized there was a lot I didn't know about beer, so kind of snowballed from there. Of every time I'd read a book or taste a beer I really liked that I've never had before, it really perked my interest to go a little bit deeper. Um, so as I, I did that, I believe it was 2012, I first took the certified beer server exam. I was just working in marketing at the time. Uh, later that year, I took the certified Cicerone exam and passed. Again, this is 2012. Uh, in 2014, I ended up moving into education with Goose Island at the time, which was really exciting. You know, I was kind of looking to make a little bit of a change, getting out of sales and marketing, uh, not only getting into a role where, you know, I could talk more directly to people about beer, but a role where I could kind of accelerate my own learning in all things beer. Mm-hmm. That was a great kind of shift in where I was professionally in 2014 to kind of get away from sales and marketing really get more specific to the education side of the business. And in 2016, when Cicerone first introduced the advanced Cicerone level, I sat for that exam, which was in February. Unfortunately, I passed, and you know that kind of gave me the confidence to keep on going and ultimately 
I took the uh, master Cicerone exam in October of 2017 and uh, passed. So I've done a lot of different jobs uh, in the course of um, 14, 15 years in the beer industry, but essentially started stocking shelves. And as of right now, I'm uh, master Cicerone and I get to travel the country and teach people about beer. That's fantastic, and and that's uh, and thank you f- personally for the inspiration. That's kind of the the path that I have um, carved out for myself, and so thank you for uh, leading the charge on that one. So now I can just kind of follow your footsteps and hopefully uh, get there as well. And and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I do work with a lot of merchandisers and sales and in marketing and. Um, and there are some people that I know who uh, they don't necessarily. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to be crass and say that they don't care about beer, but that's not their primary focus. Uh, is just is just kind of do the job. Um, but there are those people like me, and obviously like you, who who um, take uh, the giddiness about the stories behind the beer and the uh, historical perspectives and what beer can be and what it can do for um, us. That that's the part that kind of. That that uh, lights me up, and I know I'm not alone there. So, thank you for yeah. Thank it, you for it sharing. It becomes that. quite infectious, to be honest, which is exciting. Um, and like I said, for me, I knew very little about beer years ago, early on when I was in the industry. But every time I would learn a little bit, I would really first thing realize I knew nothing. Um, but I wanted to continue to learn more, and just your level of appreciation really become so much more enhanced the better you understand it. You really start to see both the art and science of what's going into it and uh, being able to kind of get a beer in front of you and just not only enjoy the sensual aspect of it, how it looks, how it smells, how it tastes, um, but then also kind of have an understanding of what was behind that, maybe from an ingredients perspective, a pro- uh, process perspective, is pretty cool. And you ultimately just build a much stronger personal relationship to what you're drinking and just makes the experience that much more enjoyable. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And, and you'll learn by the, at least by the end of those conversation that I love analogies. And, and my analogy for that <laughs> one is, is most, when most people drink beer, that is that, you know, everyone pretty much enjoys a beer, but to me, that's like listening to an old school transistor radio and getting the, the quality of sound out of that thing. And ultimately the more we learn about our our palate and our sensory perception, as well as the historical perspectives of beer and and where saisons come from and what biodynamic farming is and how that affects the flavors of our barley and our hops and everything else, then all of a sudden that just became that becomes like listening to the world's best surround sound uh, theater and and it's just things you start hearing things you've never heard before, or tasting things you've never tasted before, or experiencing things you've never experienced before to me that's just what all this is leading toward absolutely yeah totally agree uh the way i kind of think about it is you know you're building a relationship with a really close friend where maybe the first time you meet them you know you get to know their name maybe what they do where they're from but then you hang out with them a little bit more you get to kind of see you know what they like what they don't like maybe some of their quirks um and just over time you build this really strong relationship to you know, where you can really understand everything that makes them tick. And that understanding of beer is no different. Yeah, and I definitely have that uh, that beer friend that after a hard day, um, that beer is always there for me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, doesn't talk back, at least. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it it's just yeah. it's one hundred percent supportive. Right, um, there you go. So since you are a beer educator, um, I want to flesh this out just a little bit more. Um, uh, what exactly do you teach people in regards to beer? And more importantly, why why do we need a beer educator? Why, why do we need to learn more? I mean, we kind of just talked about this a little bit to enhance our experience, but what is it you're teaching to people? And why does the average beer drinker who does not uh, want to geek out about it as much as you and I do, what's the purpose for this? Sure. So I'll start with uh, what we uh, educate people on or what we train people on. And it really can take uh, different forms depending on who we're working with. Uh, we do a lot of Cicerone-based training for some of our own employees where, you know, you're covering ingredients, you're covering brewing process, you're covering beer styles, uh, you're uh, covering flavor evaluation, um, you're doing a lot of sensory training and being able to identify you know, not only the good flavors in beer, but some of the unwanted bad flavors in beer, um, service, glassware, pouring, draft systems, things like that. So uh, food pairing, it, it really depends on some. sometimes if we're doing a training where we're actually bringing a group of people that are going to be taking the certified Cicerone exam, we'll do all of that over the course of a week. Uh, other times it might be a few hours that we have with the group and we might just talk about beer flavor or beer styles or food pairing. Uh, so really we kind of run the gamut of topics that we cover. Uh, but I would say, you know, you being a certified Cicerone, if you go back to their syllabus and their five key topics of keeping and serving, flavor and evaluation, beer styles, ingredients and process and food pairing, you know, they really do a good job of capturing you know, the the world of beer uh, as a whole. So it's us, it's easy for us to kind of use that as, you know, quote unquote, you know, the framework of what we can teach people in and around. In terms of why uh, we need to educate people, I think just in general, it's, it's like anything else. If you don't have an understanding of what's in front of you, you're really not going to be able to appreciate it. You're not going to be able to present it in the best possible light. You know, I think for myself and anybody that's a Cicerone, regardless of certified advanced master is, you know, ultimately the goal for all of us is to present beer in the best possible light, provide the customer with the best possible beer experience that they can have. Um, and if people aren't educated of what that means to do that, you know, they don't understand what the style is or they don't know maybe what the key flavors are in that beer. They don't know the glassware that it should be poured in or the temperature would be served, things like that. Ultimately, the experience is going to suffer. So I think all of our responsibilities, uh, certainly for us working in the beer industry or anybody that is kind of affiliated with the Cicerone program, is to essentially present each beer in its optimum conditions, its you know best possible light, to essentially make sure the customer has the best possible experience with it. And then hopefully they come back, they want to have that experience again, and they come back and they want to find out some other experiences that they haven't had before. And will you... Um Will you give uh, some examples of uh, some things that the average beer drinker uh, ought to know uh, so that he or she can better appreciate their beer? Uh, I, I think something, a few things that come to mind. One is freshness. I'm sorry, say There's that again? There's a lot of beer out there. Um, I think some of us that work in the industry know that beer, for the most part, is a food product. It's perishable, and you want to drink it as fresh as, as you can. Maybe to the everyday customer, they may not be thinking about that. They might just be looking for a certain style or a certain brewery and just go to the store and, and pick it off the shelf and go. Um, 
but checking code dates, checking when that uh, when that was actually brewed. Is it you know, still within code? Um, so I'd say freshness is a big one. Just paying attention to that. Now, granted, there's styles of beer that actually improve with age, mm-hmm. but I would say more often than not, most beers you want to get as fresh as possible. Uh, another one would be just pouring a beer out into a into a glass, and you don't necessarily even have to, you know oh, I don't have the specific glass that goes with this style, but just pouring the beer out, getting to enjoy the appearance of it, the color, the clarity, the foam, uh, really releasing some of the CO2, releasing some of the aroma so you can kind of maximize that experience. So just things like that of making sure you're buying beer as fresh as possible, pouring it out, enjoying it in the glass uh, would be a few things that come to mind. That's great. And especially I loved your note about the, Learning how to pour a glass, it's not just a, 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 a fancy um, ceremonial thing. I mean, I think I think people, it would help people to better understand that the vast majority of what we experience through flavor comes from what we smell. And if you pour, mm-hmm. if you pour beer poorly, then you don't get as much aroma if you pour it better or use the right glass or the right temperature or all these other little nuances. But most importantly, if if you don't get those volatiles, if you don't get that aroma, then you're 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 just listening to that song on on a transistor radio again, and and it could be so much better. Yeah, no, definitely, and yeah, I think to people that maybe don't understand, they see foam as a negative, where you know we are foam positive people, for sure. <laughs> not only uh, visually but texturally, uh, what it helps to do uh, for the aromatics of a beer. So yeah, some stuff we probably take for granted, and, and I think a lot of our responsibility and some stuff that you know I'm hopefully excited to work about work on with my job is just communicating some of those basic things to people. You know, uh, I don't need to get all science and geeky and you know talk to people that already know just as much about beer as myself. I think what I'm interested in is really getting to the masses that maybe don't have that understanding, that basic level of appreciation for beer, and just giving them a few. Um, things that they can use in their everyday life to just quickly uh, improve their overall drinking experience. Yeah, I, I think uh, with one of the classes I took on on beer to get uh, a certification in brewing, um, it it was taught by a gentleman who was absolutely brilliant, but he was very very heavy on the science. In fact, he was a head brewer for Deschutes and had done mm-hmm. a lot and had done a a ton of scientific research and written a bunch of papers so needless to say the class was very science and chemistry heavy and um it, that was that was a significant challenge for me cuz i am not right. uh, i am not uh chemistry uh rich um especially when it comes to beer however just kind of having a a base understanding that not not remembering everything that was in that class but now i know that 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 there's something about that exists and if i have to know it if i want to know it i know where to find it and i know what to look for um like understanding um you know to the higher extent of understanding how visceral diketones are formed and how that manifests in our beer is diacetyl yada 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 um that is i think that's fine and dandy so that we can have a more in-depth conversation with um people at a higher level of understanding of beer or brewers or anything like that sure. but but for the average person now we can just say yeah you know that butter or that butterscotch that you're tasting well here's mm-hmm. when it's good here's when it's bad and i think that's i think that's valuable and in, in, in myriad levels of of uh minutia 
Definitely. And I mean, the science, the chemistry is mind blowing. If you go back to <laughs> PhDs and there's people that have dedicated their life to just better understanding of the chemistry side, which is daunting. Um, you know, for you as a certified Cicerone is, you know, you kind of look towards next steps of advance and ultimately master. You know, there's definitely an expectation of a better understanding of that to a certain degree. But again, Master Cicerone isn't a chemistry exam. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, again, showing that you have a really strong grasp of all those five main topics not only in theory, but in principle. Um, you know, you're doing a lot of oral exams, you're doing a lot of tasting, things like that. So it's kind of a combination of, you know, the theory behind it and uh, the practice of it. But, you know, I, I don't think the, the chemistry is very exciting in, you know, understanding a lot of that. But to me, um, after passing the exam, you know, it's, I, I don't feel like... Uh, it's to a level where you know most people can't get to. Okay, good. That 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 is very helpful. I appreciate that. Um, so you and we talk about um, uh, food and beer pairings. Um, mm-hmm. Again, what are some? What are the basic principles of of pairing food? And and this is not just for the uh, for the average beer drinker. Who doesn't I mean? You know, what I want to get to is why can't I pair an American light lager with a hearty beef stew or and and, and why does that not work? Uh, can you uh, share some information on that? Sure. The way we kind of train people on food pairing is we talk about in terms of ABC. And a lot of these principles, you might see different ways to describe them, but essentially A is align. And when we talk about align, we're talking about aligning intensity. I believe Cicerone refers to as matching. Okay. And pretty much, you know, going back to your light lager versus a hearty beef stew, you know, you really just want to make sure the intensities of your beer and the intensity of your dish are aligned. So if those things aren't aligned, one side's generally going to overpower the other. So you need to take into account on the beer side, what's the level of alcohol, how much carbonation, what level of bitterness, sweetness, uh, acidity, uh, things like that. On the dish side, you know, What's the cooking method? Are there herb spices used in the preparation? Maybe sauces, uh, richness, uh, just the basic taste elements. So really, before you even get out of the blocks, talking about flavor, we talk about aligning intensity. That way, you're really giving both sides uh, a fair shot to kind of um, bring to the party what, what they have. So and here we, we talk about so here we go with a, another analogy. So that's like you know pitting two boxers that that are you know we've got two heavyweights, we've got two lightweights, but we're not pairing a mm-hmm. heavyweight and a lightweight. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's uh, another good analogy, but you know essentially you're talking about intensity first thing foremost align it, and you get into B is bridging. This really starts to get into the flavor interaction. Okay. So we kind of talk about it of you can play around with building common flavor bridges. Let's say it's a, it's a beer that has a lot of nice bright fruit notes. You know, maybe you find a dish that also has some nice fruit elements, kind of building some common flavor bridges. Or you can kind of go something different that's uh, not the same, but complementary. And to me, that space is probably the most obscure in the space you need to play around with to really see what works. You know, I think we all have a good idea of common flavors and beer, common flavors and food, and kind of build some bridges there. But when you're talking about things that are different, that still complement each other, 
that's a little bit more of the trial and error, the experience. Uh, and then lastly, we get to C, which is cut. This is really about taste, texture, where you're starting to bring that contrast element. Uh, for me, the contrast is more at the specific taste level, you know, the sweets, the sours, the bitters, okay. um, the salties, kind of getting some nice contrast between those basic taste elements, but then also using elements of the beer to cut through different tastes and textures of the dish. So beer is great for cutting uh, carbonation, uh, acidity, bitterness are three big ones. Uh, alcohol can cut roastiness to a certain extent. So that, that third element, the, the cutting, the contrast really kind of helps bring everything full circle. And, you know, hopefully you're kind of staying fresh to keep eating and, and keep drinking because ultimately that's what you want to enjoy. So bringing it back for us, the basic principles would be aligning intensity, building some flavor bridges, and then cutting through various tastes and textures. And whenever I have this conversation with either clients or, or people, um, the examples I use, and I, I want to hear your examples next, uh, maybe yours yours will likely be better, but uh, the examples I use for complementing flavors would be like chocolate peanut butter and contrasting, mm-hmm. I think, of peanut butter and jelly. Um, wh- what do you use when you have these conversations? You know, one of the examples we use, uh, we're talking about like a cheesecake that has a nice kind of cookie, biscuit, graham cracker crust. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to bring in something with common flavors, maybe bring in a doppelbock that shares a lot of those similar kind of malty, sweet, graham cracker, maybe like chocolate element, uh, toast, biscuit, things like that. Or you want to stay with that uh, cheesecake and maybe you bring in something like a porter or a stout that brings a lot of that dark chocolate coffee. And now you're kind of creating like a coffee and cake type scenario. Okay. Um, but that, to me... Uh, always trying to figure out how to play within that that world of, you know, flavors that aren't the same, but they really complement each other. Uh, and that's where you can have a lot of fun. But again, I think everybody wants a cheat sheet of like, this always goes with that and this always goes with that. And sometimes you just got to get in there and play around and see what works and what doesn't because some things might sound good in theory. And then you put them together and it kind of falls flat. Yeah. And, and, and of course, people have to understand that they have idiosyncrasies and nuances where we all mm-hmm. taste things differently. And so I may, I may put a Dijon mustard over a seared ahi, and that's going to be the greatest thing in the world for me. But for you, you might think, oh, you just ruined it. So um, right. I, I agree. You, you kind of have to... Uh, play with it and see what what works um which is essentially what chefs do is like hey i think this is going to be amazing let's try it out as a special um the special sold out okay yeah i was right let's let's sell that um or it it didn't so let's not do that again yep yeah i mean they're bringing in all sorts of ingredients to you know see what works well together what can pair well with each other and ultimately you want a nice well-balanced dish where not one thing dominates and just like brewing a, a well-balanced beer mm-hmm. and then from a pairing perspective you're trying to take those two worlds and uh, bring them together in a way that's still harmonious yeah i, I think that that's um one of the experiences i always look forward to and always enjoy is when i try a beer even if it's something i've had before or if something new but if it if something about it catches my attention or it, it's like that that great movie that great song the great book that great piece of art where it, it just I, I keep on thinking about it. I keep on uh, ruminating over, you know, the, what are the flavors in there and how did they get this? It's, you know, I realize it's more complex. And in a past 
podcast, uh, I, uh, my guest was a, a master beer judge, and we talked about how to taste beer, and, and he was drinking mm-hmm. a, a dark Belgian strong that had been barrel-aged, and I was drinking a, a, a Spots and Optimator uh, Doppelbach, and and um, it, you know he described his, but I'm, of course I'm drinking mine um, over the phone like we're doing now, and um, and because we were talking about it and just thinking about it, it it's just that Doppelbach just opened itself up to me uh, in a in a way where I mean I've been thinking about it ever since, and this is you know a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great, and I think one of the things too is, is many times is we do different sensory trainings or you're, you know, in an exam like format where you're getting a very little amount of beer and you have a finite amount of time to evaluate it is, you know, a beer is going to kind of reveal itself over time. So, you know, I always enjoy just, you got to have a solid pint of anything. And, you know, as you start to those first few sips, you're picking out certain things and then it starts to show a different side of itself, maybe halfway through or at the end. So it's, it's one of the tricky things from an exam perspective or even a judging perspective, you know, you're really small amount, you know, you're, you're banging through a number of samples, kind of get a little bit of a taste, you know, obviously relying on aroma, but evaluating everything else. Where to me, it's like, you know what, I'd love to have 12 more ounces of that or 16 more ounces mm-hmm. of that and really see how it, it changes over time. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, not to get into a conversation about uh, terroir in, in our beer, but um, I think uh, I refer to it as our uh, internal terroir as well, whereas um, the mood or, um, you know, if I'm out um, cursing at my lawnmower that's breaking down on me in the heat of the summer and I've got a bunch of weeds and stuff like that, maybe a Doppelbach isn't the beer I want to reach for. It's not It's not going to be, it's not going to be the one that's going to fulfill my need at that point. Uh, maybe a, a Belgian wit would be better. Um, I don't but, know. If your lawnmower breaks and you got a bunch of weeds, I'd maybe just go higher. <laughs> yeah. Say, you know what? I'm, I'm good for the day. I'm going to, I'm going to, call it and, and uh, grab something out of the cellar yeah uh, hey you know and, and maybe you're right but that's that's where the experimentation experimentation comes into play but as far mm-hmm. as that um you know internal terroir it's like if, if you taste something and it doesn't quite strike a chord for you that day then try it again in a different context and it, and it might start singing uh, um and that's where I jokingly tell people that when doing beer research, one must be thorough. Um, but, but you know, all tongue and cheek aside, that's actually I believe that's very true because um, you know, it's, you know, listening to a, a song in different contexts, it's going to mean different things. Um, I think beer is is kind of the same thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, where you are, who you're with, what you're doing, uh, you know, what you're eating. Yeah, everything's going to impact that experience. Um, it's like if you're going to have a pint of, let's just say, Guinness in Dublin uh, versus a pint of Guinness somewhere in the States. And pretty, <laughs> on the, on the West Coast. <laughs> beer, but my guess is if I had to bet that that beer in Dublin is going to taste even better. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a lot goes into what's going on around you, uh, who you're with, and uh, that's going to kind of impact your overall experience with any well, given beer. Well, and and then in that vein of thought, um, since you can, you talked about some things that you would teach and help people understand, but uh, especially when it comes to food pairing. But what, in your vast experience and knowledge, what are some of the uh, food and beer pairings, or even the the beer and environment experiences uh, or pairings that what have been some of those better classic pairings that you've encountered that everyone ought to try? Yeah. So. 
I think just playing around with cheese is a is a really good area because it's not like you have to go make anything very elaborate. You can just find a good cheese store, uh, get some nice fresh cheese, grab a few different beers, and you know play around with you know, pulling out the flavors in the cheese, pulling out the flavors in the beer, uh, going going back and forth between the two. So I'd say for anybody that's looking just to have some fun from a pairing perspective, don't think that you need to make this elaborate dinner. I'd say just picking up, you know, a nice range of cheeses is uh, is a good way to kind of explore and, and have some fun. Uh, I mean, for me, like big blues and big barley wines are great. Oh, that's that nice contrast of saltiness from the, the cheese with the, the sweetness from the barley wine. Uh, that's kind of a, you know, I'd say fail safe. You can't miss there. Uh, any, you know, big, like, double, triple cream, breeze, camembert, kind of bloomy rind with saisons, mm-hmm. triples, uh, go great together. Um, you get kind of a nice interaction between the earthy elements of the cheese. Usually there's a little bit of light, tangy acidity, lemon. Uh, a lot of times with saison, you get some nice lemon, orange notes, in addition to some of that earthiness, maybe a little bit of pepper. Uh, but then you have so much uh, carbonation to kind of cut through the just rich texture. And, and like brie and like camembert really need and brie and camembert really need some aggressive cutting at the end of that too, just so buttery and creamy. Yeah, depending on. I mean, it could be a range too. So okay. that's where it's always tough to generalize anything. But you know, you can have some that are more tame, some that are. Uh, high in fat content, really, I mean, almost like you're licking butter off a knife, which is delicious, obviously. Um, so I think Clearly. those are other good ones to play around with, uh, for sure. Um, trying to think what else. I mean, good Alpines and malt-forward beers, like Gruyere's and Brown Ales, or mm. you know, maybe even like a lighter porter. It doesn't have a ton of roast character. So those are some ones that, just off the top of my head, I'd recommend people, and you can kind of play around with, you know, maybe you get a beer that's malt forward, maybe you get a beer that's hop forward, maybe one that's fermentation forward, and just get some really good cheeses and get a few friends, play around, see what you like and, and what you don't like. Well, and so uh, for all of my listeners, uh, please forgive this shameless plug, or maybe it's a shameful plug because I'm doing it on purpose, um, but I, <laughs> I, I wrote uh, an article for craftbeer.com on pairing beer and cheese. Um, okay. and, and it was, and it was fantastic experience because I, I grabbed, uh, some friends, some friends who, um, who I, I trust their palates and I needed some feedback because I got about a dozen different cheeses and probably two dozen different beers. Um, the night ended very well from what I remember, let's put it that way. But, um, <laughs> but it was basically, I, I got, uh, I, I basically got a beer to represent all the, um, not every single style. Uh, I didn't have any wild ales, but uh, you know the the bulk of the common styles and some that are just just on the fringe, and and just basically put it out there and just had people try different things and see what worked. And ooh, this one was great. Okay, let's try that one. And ooh, that didn't. You know, just basically it was a free for all to figure out trying figure out these pairings. While I took some notes and wrote an article about that. And one of the surprises that came out of that um, experience and it it speaks to trying different things is uh, I kind of uh, during that experience one of the cheeses I bought that I thought there's no way I'm going to find anything that will taste great with this pepper jack 
Um, that's not a cheese I reach for ordinarily. And it was, so it was kind of a challenge. I thought, well, let's just, I just want to see what does and or does not work or, or more importantly, why won't it work? I, I was very skeptical. Um, and one of my favorites that came out of that night was the pepper jack paired with a Scottish ale. And that's, uh, it, that's just what I was thinking, like a nice wee heavy, uh, depending on the intensity of the pepper jack. But, yeah. And I did not uh, expect yeah. that, but it was amazing. No, it's great. And I, I'm a big fan of approaching it that way. You know, you give people maybe a little bit of framework of what's in front of them and some suggestions uh, of things that may work all together. But sitting back and saying, hey, this only goes with that or this only goes with that, you know, ultimately everybody's going to have a different experience. So you just kind of set the table, so to speak, mm-hmm. and let people have some fun, let people explore, experiment. And usually you're going to get a range of uh, favorites across the group. Well, and it was such a neat experience because not only did, you know, did it taste good and we got to experience different things, but it was just kind of a fun, playful dinner party, if you will. And it sure beat uh, watching a movie or, or, you know, uh, I mean, barbecuing and playing cornhole is fantastic, but this was just something different. This was a little bit more memorable. And so I encourage anyone out there, to grab a bunch of different beers, grab a bunch of different cheeses and say, hey, we're going to have a fun party and figure out what works, what doesn't and kind of uh, beer nerd style. And it was it was fantastic. There you go. Works for me. <laughs> um, uh, so you, you spent a lot of time educating about beer, um, learning about beer, but educating people about beer. What are some of the things um, that what are some of the things that you would like people to know that people don't really ask about hmm. what are what are some of those gaps in the in the average knowledge in beer i think the biggest thing for most people and not that they don't ask about it is they don't necessarily they're not in an environment where they're tasting critically you know we kind of separate there's drinking and there's tasting so a lot of times when we're doing trainings uh, definitely anything that involves sensory one of the most common things we hear from people is I just don't have the palate. I'm kind of nervous about the, the tasting portion. I just can't do it. And it's not that they can't do it. It's just they haven't done it before or they haven't trained themselves to do it. I mean, sensory is a, a trained skill. Uh, you know, I can tell you just for example, when we do our certified Cicerone trainings that are four days long, probably 80 to 90% of the people, if we say what's the thing you're most concerned about on day one, it's tasting. And then by the time we get to the end of day four, everybody's feeling great there. So I think the biggest thing for most people is just thinking about what you're actually experiencing. And it takes time to, one, it takes focus. You got to kind of really be dialed into what's in front of you. So no cake um, stands but, and no chugging beers then? Yeah, well, not in this, in this scenario. <laughs> but okay. uh, yeah, so you got to be focused and you got to be serious of, you know, spending time with it. And and you're trying to make connections to what you're experiencing. And a lot of times it's a lot of people suffer from the same thing. It's, you know what it is. You just can't say the word. You can't articulate it. What mm-hmm. is that? I know I've had that before. Yeah. Or it reminds me of something, but over time you start to build these connections uh, from what you're um, sensing to your ability to articulate it. It seems but like maybe people, the most it, it general seems like... thing, uh, excuse me, is just for people to, to start uh, drinking uh, more critically or just tasting more critically or in a more focused manner. And as you do that, you just become stronger and stronger in your ability to you know, kind of 
go a little bit deeper into each beer uh, becomes a lot easier. Gotcha. And, and it seems like, uh, you know, back to your point about um, people not being able to uh, name that flavor that they're uh, tasting, that um, I think a lot of people are doubtful about the image or the word that they conjure in their heads and so they don't want to speak it. Um, uh, have you experienced that? Sure. I think in general, there's a level of confidence that people lack with that. Again, because you haven't done it. It's like anything else, regardless of you're tasting something or building something. If you haven't done it, you're not going to feel confident that you can do it, uh, at least not at the beginning. Uh, so, and you don't want to, you're usually doing this in a, in a group setting, right? So mm-hmm. if there's 20 people, yeah. you don't want to be the first one to be like, ah, this tastes like cabbage. Yeah. And what if I'm what, wrong? What the hell are you talking <laughs> about? Cabbage tastes like grapefruit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a level of confidence, you know, it's just normal for all of us. I, you know, still I'm in tasting settings all the time and you're like, oh, you know, is it this, is it that, you know, do I say this, do I not say that? But again, over time, you become more comfortable, more confident in general, just a better taster. Those kind of concerns, those fears start to go away because, you know, your ability to detect things, to articulate things and the confidence to stand behind those things is is much stronger than it was before you kind of started on that journey. Awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, and thank you for that. I, I think uh, from what little experiences I've had, uh, I think people need permission to um, not only learn how to uh, identify those flavors and to separate those flavors to kind of pull that, I, I call it the name that flavor game. But, um, but if you, if, if you're sensing something that just seems outrageous at the time, say it anyway. I mean, I, I've tasted um, uh, a Gosa from Colorado that just flat out tasted like uh, corn, toasted corn tortillas and cotilla cheese. Um, I judged a uh, wild ale panel uh, uh, earlier this year, and we had a uh, a beer with a bunch of uh, Thai spices uh, adjuncts into it, and it tasted like a uh, like a meat stew with like uh, coconut and kaffir lime uh, leaves added to it. And it was, and, and you, when you say that out loud, you think I must be crazy, but sure enough, those flavors are in there. Um, and so I I, I think it's. Uh, it's it's kind of fun to be bold and be creative in the beginning. Uh, it seems to kind of uh, break those gates down a little bit and and just experience it and not uh, edit oneself. No, definitely. And those are the ones I like, you know, when you get a connection that it's not, we're a lot of times pulling out individual flavors, but I really like when something just comes together and paints a picture in your head of one thing. Uh, like, for example, you know, I was doing some cheese training uh, a week or so ago, and this one bite we had just tasted like a, like a BLT sandwich. <laughs> you know, and obviously there's all these other small things that were leading up to that, some acidity, some saltiness, uh, some meatiness, uh, some, like, grain, grassiness. Uh, but, you know, everything comes together, and it's just one image. To me, I, I really like when I get that. Um, so it's just much easier to convey to somebody else to say, hey, taste this, it's just tastes like a BLT sandwich as opposed to, you know, giving them, you know, 10 different uh, flavors uh, that you're, that you're picking up. So that's, that's cool and exciting when you kind of get to get something that, that sparks or paints that picture. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've experienced that a, a, a few times and it's just kind of, it's kind of fun to 
yeah, to, to just put it all together and say, oh my gosh, this is, to me, it was like, ah, oh, this is a uh, tortillas and cotija. And it was, it was incredible, but it was unexpected. And you, <laughs> yeah. And you can just stop there. Yeah. There you go. Like, yeah. What does this taste like? It, it tastes like this. And, you know, you can quickly uh, paint a picture that somebody else can understand. <laughs> and again, I think that's what for, for us and, there's definitely times where, depending on who I'm drinking beer with, you know, if I'm drinking with Max, who I work with, he's also a master cicerone, you know, there's a lot of times we're identifying compounds and stuff like that. But if I'm just drinking beers with my wife or my friends, you know, I'm not going to start spewing that. So it, it really kind of comes down to who you're with and, you know, uh, you want to be speaking the same language regardless. You have to keep it age appropriate, right? Right. <laughs> talk to yeah. me like I'm a five-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, uh, kind of like the final round of questions, but um, uh, one that I ask of everyone, if you had the opportunity to choose your last meal and your last beer, what would they be? Oh, geez. Oof. Yeah, well, no one, no one likes this question. I'm from Buffalo, so there's just wings running through my through my veins at all times. <laughs> um, so I'm not I'm not gonna go crazy. I'm a simple person. I'm gonna go with some you know obscure dish. I'm gonna say a nice order of uh, hot wings. We don't call them buffalo wings in Buffalo because we're in Buffalo. So a nice <laughs> order of hot chicken wings, side of blue cheese. Um, you know, beer wise, brands could float around. Uh, probably like a nice. English bitter, uh, something that's got a nice balance of malt, hops, there's a little bit of sweetness to tame some of that heat, uh, but there's also some bitterness there to kind of cut through the fattiness of the wing or the blue cheese. Um, you know, just good solid pairing to where, you know, when I eat and drink, I like to not take small bites or have small sips. So if I'm yeah. uh, sitting down, I can have a few pints of a bitter and a nice solid order of wings and send me off. I'm good. <laughs> nice. Um, and then, so that was kind of like the, you know, proverbial end of beer life. I want to, this question is more geared toward the beginning of your beer life. Maybe I should transpose those questions, but um, uh, tell us about your gateway beer. The the first time you sipped a beer and thought, oh man, I need to look into this. Hmm. Gateway beer. I'm trying to think. Nothing off the top of my head is jumping out. There was one, and this was probably, I was already in the beer industry for, oh man, at this point, probably five, six years, but I wasn't yet in education. I wasn't in the Cicerone program, uh, but my wife and I were out of town visiting her parents, and we just went to this little beer shop, cheese shop, and they had uh, Trogue's Nugget Nectar on, mm. and had a, had a pint of that, and it was just so aromatic, just incredible look it had you know this really kind of like shiny orange amber color beautiful head really aromatic floral fruity uh, and i remember after that i'm like oh man i could i could drink this beer pretty much every day for the rest of my life now it's interesting because i've had that beer since and it's been good but it hasn't lived up to that moment <laughs> so whether you know i've that beer was super fresh and some of the other ones i've had maybe a little older or again, we go back to what we were talking about, you know, what I was doing, who I was with, what mm -hmm. I was eating, all that helped kind of yeah, the internal that terroir, beer yeah. and it made everything else uh, that much better. So that's one that kind of comes out. First time I had that beer on draft, uh, I was, I was blown away. Um, and then once they 
hundreds and thousands of beers after that that have done just the same. Awesome. Um, and then, uh, you know, here's the, uh, uh, the big question before we, uh, taper down, um, in, in all of your study experience, um, you know, when, when you add the, some of your experience together, uh, what's your answer to the question? Why does good beer matter? Why does good beer matter? Cause it's delicious. It tells amazing stories. It uh, brings amazing experiences to life. Uh, it's, one of those things that is essentially a social lubricant, something that has brought people together for millennia. So, you know, if we look at the current climate climate these days, there's a lot of things that are trying to drag people apart. Beer is essentially something that brings people together. So good beer does that um, even more so. I'd say good beer matters because essentially it brings us all together uh, and it's kind of a shared passion that we can all get behind and enjoy. Perfect. I love it. Um, so if people want to educate themselves more about beer, um, uh, or I, I don't know if you uh, want people to try and connect with you if possible, but uh, how can people learn more about about all this stuff and, and why all this good beer matters? Yeah, I'd say, one, you can start reading. And get. Uh, I mean, there's some really good books, Tasting Beer by Randy Mosier is kind of the one we uh, tap into and a lot of other people have and covers a, a nice range. So yeah. you can start to pick up books on beer is one. Uh, I would also start to, you know, pop into your local breweries, just start asking questions. You know, when you're tasting a beer, hey, what's this made with? What does it taste like to you? You know, what's the story behind it? Starting asking, asking questions when you're out drinking, whether it's at a brewery or just from a, a general bartender. You know, a lot of times those people have some good information. Uh, start thinking about what you're tasting. Uh, you know, obviously there's a time and a place. I do a lot of drinking, but I also do a lot of tasting. <laughs> Just starting to think a little bit more uh, every time you are tasting beer. And then, yeah, just find other people that are, are into it. You know, I didn't get to where I am by myself, not by a long shot. I've met so many people along the way. I've learned so much along the way from um, people, books, tasting uh, there's all sorts of resources out there um so yeah and don't feel like you got to get to the top of the mountain in one day yeah because it's certainly not it's not going to happen that way for sure um and a couple other resources that i think you'll uh i think you'll agree uh, that people can look at if they want to take it to higher levels is as bjcp uh I believe it's .org, but that's the Beer Judge Certification Program. And obviously, uh, Cicerone.org as well. That's that's where I was certified and you were certified, and that's, that's where people get fancy with their beers. But um, it, they're just a, and, and they have a list of resources there and books that they recommend. Um, yeah, I, I read Randy Mosher's uh, Tasting Beer cover to cover and annotated and uh, underlined, and that is a great first book to just start people with um yeah even if they don't go any further that's just like hey it's kind of a a a, a breadth of everything you need to know about beer it's in that book yeah and uh for sure he, he does a good job he's a really nice guy and um, covers a pretty good range of uh what you need to know to kind of start to pique your interest and then maybe the only other thing i would um uh, out there that comes to mind is maybe join a local homebrew club. Oh, yeah, even yeah, yeah. Not, even if you're not homebrewing, you know, usually you're going to show up and they're going to be pouring uh, 
10, 15, 20 different homebrews across different styles. Uh, a lot of homebrewers have a ton of great knowledge, uh, great palates because they spend so much time with it. Uh, so that's another one to where just find a local homebrew group and start joining the monthly meetings and uh, you can learn a lot through that as well. Great. Um, and you know, and I realized uh, there's one question that I forgot to ask in the beginning, but um, but uh, tell us about uh, who you work for and what you do there. Sure. So I work for the high end at Anheuser-Busch. Essentially, the business was created a few years ago to support uh, all the craft breweries in the U.S. Uh, so we have 11 craft breweries, including uh, Virtue Cider out of Michigan. And then we also support some of the import portfolio out of Europe, the Stella Artois, the Who Gardens, the Leffes. Uh, and, you know, we do a lot of stuff within the high end. We try and support some of the craft breweries with training education. Uh, we also do some stuff with our wholesaler network. So you have hundreds and hundreds of smaller businesses uh, as our distributors or wholesalers that are out selling beer, selling our beers. We want to make sure that they're educated and excited. So that's, that's what I do, and I'm pretty fortunate to be able to do it. Yeah, it, it sounds wonderful. Uh, is, are there resources available to the general public, or is that just pretty much an in-house resource? For right now, it's all in-house, um, but you know, who knows down the, down the road if we start to offer some trainings uh, for general customers. You know, there's definitely some exciting things uh, at AB just from a beer perspective, trying to take a little bit more of a leadership role in um, improving the overall image of beer, the experience of beer, some stuff I might be able to work on. So who knows, we can maybe do a follow-up some point down the road. Um, But, you know, we have quite a lot of internal people, both uh, within our company, but then our wholesaler partners as well. So, Uh, but yeah, uh, I think there's huge opportunities for all of us in the industry for more training, more education. And hopefully I'm one of those people that can spread the word and spread the love and you know, get more people drinking more, more good beer. So uh, just to clarify one of the comments you just made, um, do you think this is a wave that's going to uh, build in the future is just beer education and, and uh, I don't want to say beer snobbery, but just, you know, yeah, just beer education. I think it will. Yep. Um, you know, and there's a lot of that's taking place. I mean, not only do you have a lot of uh, craft breweries that are doing uh, trainings or just educating people at their breweries, at their tap rooms, I think as you see the bigger breweries like AB really take a more dedicated uh, position and focus against beer training, beer education. You know, certainly they have the size and the resources to, to go a long way with that. And that's kind of why I'm excited for where I am with the company and hopefully what, you know, I can be in tandem with some of those efforts. Uh, but there's also, I mean, you look at the Cicerone program, right? They just turned 10 years old, um, which, you know, it seems like they've been around for a long time, but yeah. they've only been around for 10 years. They're obviously spreading the love, trying to uh, support the mission. It's one of those things that uh, there's a ton of runway. I think there's a lot of opportunity for all of us. And, you know, every day we're just working to, you know, make more people uh, interested in beer, excited about beer, and wanting to, to kind of keep coming back to beer. Well, if the world of wine is any indication about where this could all go, then cle- clearly we beer people are just scratching the surface, it seems. Oh, yeah. We can we can take it as far as we want. Great. Um, and it's going to be a, a fun ride along the way. So I'm 
I'm in it for, for the long haul, and I'm looking forward to, like I said, I get to travel around and talk to people about beer and drink beer and learn about beer. And, you know, ultimately, my goal is to kind of share that back with as many people as I can. And that's what I do, and that's what I'm looking forward to doing in the future. And so you, you need to be a uh, a guest on, uh, I forget the name of that show, but there's some show about uh, uh, who has the best job in the country or something like that. <laughs> and, and uh. Your description of your job, uh, I think you'd be a candidate for that show. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't complain. I, yeah. I have a good job. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's it's great. We're, we're very fortunate to work in the industry we do, and again, to be able to drink good beer, meet good people, and eat good food is pretty much all I need, and that's kind of where I'm at now. Perfect. Um, last thing, Ryan, is there anything you want to add to this uh, conversation? Uh, not really. I mean, I think we covered quite a quite a bit of topics. Just we did well. Say, yeah, keep drinking beer, play around. You know, obviously there's great local beer scenes in essentially every town in America at this point. Yeah. Um, but I would also say continue to explore outside of those, you know, Look to beers coming in from Belgium, coming in from Germany, coming in from England, coming in from maybe the state next door to you or the city next door to you. Uh, there's just some incredible beer being made on both a large scale and a small scale. And the more you explore, the more kind of unique beers and experiences you're going to find. I believe that the more we understand the stories, the context, the process, and all that goes into the beer in our glass, the more that beer becomes a portal to a richer and more enjoyable life. I hope you have enjoyed the stories and education from all of my guests in Season 1 of Good Beer Matters. Now we're taking a short break and we'll return in Season 2 with more stories, more pairings, more education, and more good beer. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you are a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please go to iTunes or Stitcher.com and subscribe to Good Beer Matters. Better yet, send me an email at jeremy at goodbeermatters.net or connect with me on Facebook and tell me what beer stories or knowledge you'd like to hear more about. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.